Hello, and welcome to the Tuesday, May 18th, 2021 episode of The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you've never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is jazz vocalist and trombonist Aubrey Logan. Aubrey has never been one to be pigeonholed and purposely defies definition. Her top five debut album, Impossible, helped to establish her as one of the premier young singer-instrumentalists in the United States. Her participation in Dave Cause's album, Summer Horns, in 2018, helped cement her position. But it was her own number one album in 2019, where the sunshine is expensive, that showed the depth of her songwriting. As a singer, trombone player, and songwriter, Aubrey's body of work is underscored by the integrity of a performer that can stretch herself emotionally across a musical landscape that defies description. Complex and still retaining the intimacy of stories that are both personal and inspiring, Aubrey can bring a wealth of experience to her songwriting that touches the deepest part of the human experience. Logan finds time to share the stage with Alabama Shakes, Megan Trainer, Pharrell Williams, Josh Groban, Dave Cause, The Commodores, The Boston Pops, and venues as diverse as Ronnie Scott's in London and the Hollywood Bowl. She's appeared on Jimmy Kimmel, the Grammys Award Show, and ABC's The Goldbergs. Logan has recorded a duet with her childhood hero, Gloria Estefan. Aubrey has won multiple awards at the Montreux Jazz Festival. She's beloved not by not just the dedicated fans of postmodern jukebox, but she considers the creator, Scott Bradley, and her colleagues within the collective her true friends. And Aubrey loves performing. But it's in her writing that we find the real Aubrey Logan. Her song, L.A., revealed just how difficult it is to be an artist living in the biggest entertainment town on the planet. But mostly, Aubrey has finally given us a glimpse into the complexity of the mind of the artist. She's still known as a world-class singer-instrumentalist, but she's revealed that there's so much more. She continues to headline sold-out shows and festivals. She continues to wow the crowds at symphony dates all over the world, and she touches 
us in those rare intimate club shows. And we discover that the queen of sass has depths to which we would never have imagined. Recognized on the global stage as a performer who can deliver in the most informal of settings, and then to huge festival audiences, her work is praised as being accessible, fresh, and dynamic. It shines a light on an art form that at times can appear exclusive and hard to connect with. Aubrey certainly flips that narrative on its head and allows the music to bask in the sunlight, introducing new generations of listeners to her world of sophisticated songs. Aubrey returned with her new album, Standard, a journey into her musical past with covers of the most recognizable tracks, plus her original work, Done Pretending, and Louboutin's 2.0. Having worked with some incredible names in the past, including Quincy Jones, Burt Bacharach, Josh Groban, Smokey Robinson, Patrice Russian, and Pharrell Williams, Aubrey can bring those unique perspectives to the music she delivers. On Standard, she reworks Dreams by Fleetwood Mac, Jimmy Webb's MacArthur Park, and Sunny Side of the Street. Standard shows the astonishing application of a woman at the top of her game. As the world has endured a difficult year, Aubrey continues to produce music that brings hope, joy, and that touch of fun to her audiences. Sassy, undeniably gifted, and with talent to burn, Aubrey Logan is that jazz artist that you need in your life. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe Ms. Aubrey Logan. Hello, Aubrey. Hello, Craig. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you. And, and I, I hope you are well. And it's really great to talk with you. It's great to talk with you. I think we get, a, we get two nerds together right now. Right? <laughs> well, I tell you, a couple of music nerds, I can't think of a better way to go. <laughs> but I got to ask you something. I read this in your bio, so I've got to ask you. Let's begin with the whys and wherefores of the label, the queen of sass. Where does that come from? That came from somebody in the United Kingdom. (laughs) That definitely, I don't remember. I I would be lying if I said I remembered who the interviewer was. Um, But it was very, they said it in the most British way you could possibly imagine. Um, And they came to some of my shows in England and in London, mostly, mostly around London. And they were doing an article in a blog or a magazine, something like that. And I, I, at that, at that time I was doing a lot of, you know, blogs and magazines in the United Kingdom and just being interviewed. Um, Cause I was spending a whole lot of time there and I had been doing a lot of live shows. So a lot of these uh, interviewers had been coming and she, I believe it was a, she said, you're so sassy on stage. And I said, oh, well, thank you. She said, you're like the queen of sass. And I'm like, oh, thank you. So um, that's where it came from. And okay. <laughs> what, I, what I believe she was referring to is that I don't take my banter all that seriously. Um, there's always some humor involved. I'm not a big, as much as I'm on social media, I really can't stand it. So in order to survive, I have to tell it has to be a bit of a joke because it kind of is, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and it's sassy and, and, you know, I've been, I'm not in the, um, I don't know. I haven't been very marketable. I've been told. So I just make fun of it and it helps. And I just, I have a lot of joy too in the shows and maybe it comes from that. So um, hopefully it's a positive sass and, uh, and uh, it's stuck. Well, you know, I, I kind of think that it, it, it is. I, that's what I gathered from 
Uh, oh, I'm sorry for the background noise if you can hear it, but I guess I they can't. just. Oh, Everything's good. good. Zoom is oh, handling it well. Well, I'm glad because I guess the, the lawn care people decided today was the day to cut the grass. Hey, you need it cut, right? Yeah, it's that's true. Well, anyway, no, I, I, I think I think that fits in a lot of ways is very appropriate. I love the fact that you take music very seriously, yes. but you don't seem to take yourself too seriously. You know, I do, and it's a way to combat it is to not, is to go as clear in the opposite direction as I can yeah. so that I can survive. But um, I truly do, I do take music seriously. Um, mm -hmm. However, I also will, I'm, you know, and I've learned this from several artists, we can talk about them later, that I've toured with that do such a good job with their audience. Um, his name is Dave Cause. But uh, I have learned also that it's not just that the music needs to be highly sophisticated, which it can be. It also needs to be highly catered to whoever's watching. And that might mean turn the sophistication down just a touch so people can enjoy it <laughs> and mm -hmm. or keep the, you know, and I know my own boundaries and they're going to be different for every artist. I know when it's too much, it's too much bebop, stop. You're just playing notes for yourself. Or if it's too corny and cheesy, which it's always going to be corny and cheesy because people like it. Um, da -da 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 -da. Eh, you know, this yep. is a show, um, but there's, you know, a level to which I won't go down there or up there and I'm somewhere in the middle for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got a good, yeah. you've got a good comfort zone. You've got a good balance of that. And I, I think you. that's one of the things that make you, uh, at least from your videos that I've seen uh, of your live shows and, and, and recordings, I think makes you very uh, watchable. Uh, and I enjoy that a lot. Well, I, let's turn to something uh, kind of serious. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that is, I've asked every jazz musician that I have interviewed this question. And that what I'm going to ask you is, what is it that makes jazz unique from other types of music? It's a very good question. Well, thank you. I, I wrote it. <laughs> well, it's the, t it's two things. It's improvisational and a bunch more tensions in the same genre. You have tensions in other genres. You have improvisation in other genres. Jazz has both. Mm -hmm. You have tension in a lot of classical and avant-garde. You have it in a lot of rock and roll. Sometimes, sometimes you can, you have it in, you know, a lot of music from around the world. You have it in a ton of world music. You have it in all throughout history um, for, you know, if it's not Baroque, there's lack of tension there, which is to our ears. Maybe they thought it was tense. Uh, and yet you also have improvisation. You have both in jazz. Um, you have improvisation in other genres too, but maybe it's not as tense. I don't know. By, by and large, this is, it's very hard to answer these questions because I am generalizing with my answer and that's mm -hmm. not it's not a hard and fast rule and it's not in every case, but you know, bluegrass is not very tense, but it's quite improvisational. Uh, mm -hmm. but jazz has both, you know, uh, or, or yeah. So those, that would be my answer, I suppose. And, well, and I, you know, I, obviously to varying degrees. I, I, no, I purposely, I know that's a hard question. <laughs> it is. You're, and you're, I'll tell you, and I'll tell you how I know that is, it. is because I, for years, I used to teach jazz history and appreciation at the university. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that would be a fundamental question that I would have to answer for students, really. What is jazz? Yes. Versus, you know, other kinds of uh, pop music. And, and, uh, and you nailed, uh, nailed it really well, kind of what I used. And that is, it's a degree. Yeah. You know, there's, there's music that has a high degree of jazz-ness. Yeah. Like... You know, when you hear Thelonious Monk, there's no right, doubt that right. that's jazz. Absolutely. Every, but, no one would disagree. Uh -huh. But then also when you listen to, uh, say, the Gaucho album by Steely Dan, mm -hmm. there's a degree of jazz-ness there. Yes. But I don't believe that Walter Becker would say what they were creating was jazz. Sure. I mean, you would have to... I am not a purist by mm -hmm. any means. Um, I will never pretend to be, 
and I will never say that I am. And I think it would be to my detriment if I did, because then I would not be able to do whatever I want, which is a lot of different things. Um, however, there's the other thing about jazz. Well, and you can say this about classical. You can say this about a lot of music is that it influences other music and that it will show up because I, I did say bluegrass, but bluegrass and jazz come from very similar places, uh, mm -hmm. if not the same place. And, you know, um, there's Gershwin who pretty much writes classical and jazz, mm -hmm. but he's, but it's written. It's not improvised. Well, mostly again, generalizations. Don't help. Um, and then there's, I was just listening to Ravel yesterday and I'm kind of going, I, w I hadn't really listened to Ravel much classical composer Ravel mm -hmm. and I'm listening to like piano sonata in G sorry if I said that wrong and I'm I'm going where's the jazz I didn't turn on jazz wait oh my gosh I'm not listening to I'm listening to Ravel and again that's written as well but it has the tensions and it has mm -hmm. their music is very hard to categorize um we live in a world where it's always categorized in marketing but the truth is we all have the same 12 notes and uh, we need to market ourselves as artists. It's helpful, helps people to have, to know kind of what they're going to expect, at least have some idea. They like familiarity. They like to have a label. And I don't think labels are bad, by the way. I used to, I used to think that I'm never label me. Meh. And now I'm like, whatever. I've hopefully my pride has been knocked down and I'm willing to say I'm a jazz artist. Whereas before I'd say, don't you dare call me a jazz artist because then I'll never be able to write a different kind of song again. Mm -hmm. No, that is not true. And mm -hmm. I'm listening to snarky puppy and Wolfpack play like jazz chords and mm -hmm. are in on an R and B thing. And I'm kind of going, Oh, they're called jazz now. Well, another thing about jazz, I would have revised my answer is it means something different in different decades. That's absolutely true. I mean, it means a completely different, uh, different in the context of the 1920s versus right. the 2020s. And actually Absolutely. in the 1920s, it probably had a more general uh, sense than it does a hundred years later because sure. it's, you know, we had the jazz age. Or a major difference between the 1920s and the 1940s even. Oh, exactly. Major yeah. difference. Oh, huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's not, I think, uh, you know, that whole categorization thing, but I'm always interested in yeah. what musicians who play jazz, how they view the music itself as being somewhat different from other styles of music. Yeah. And, and uh, I, you know, I'm one of those, I'm like you, I'm, a, uh, I'm definitely a pluralist. I love all kinds of music. Sure. And if, you've, and if you've been to my, you know, the page for my podcast, you will see I interview country artists, I interview blues, soul, R&B, jazz. I even have now scheduled my first rap artist. That should be an interesting discussion. And I know you're going to research it a lot, Craig. Uh, I can't wait. Yeah. But anyway, let's move on. Okay. And, uh, you, you know, during COVID, many musicians have been finding creative ways to stay busy while our normal activities of touring and performing live are on hold. Now, in addition to releasing a new album, as if that isn't enough, <laughs> what sort of other things have you been doing for the past few months in lieu of live performing and touring? Well, the album was a big one, but you know, what goes into that is a lot of arranging and it was a big arranging project for me. So I would say I was in, I had my arranger hat on the entire year. <laughs> And I was doing a ton of that. Um, I, I did some Christmas stuff too. I, I did a Christmas single too. I also moved, I moved States yeah. and that kept me a little bit busy. Um, but to be honest, I hadn't rested in um, almost the better half of a decade. Mm. And so I actually got some resting done. It was actually pretty great. I got to, you know, design a new home, which felt kind of busy, but also um, kind of restful because it had nothing to do with my career so much. Um, my husband and I spent more time together than we have in the history of our over a decade long marriage. And it was great. We really like each other. Um, and, <laughs> and 
we had a great time. I mean, I've never spent an anniversary with him in the past five years. And then I got two in a row, uh, yeah. one this weekend and one last, last year. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I did practice more trombone. And I think mm -hmm. that's pretty, a lot of people that are jazz musicians who've been having several hats got to practice more because traveling really does take away the practice time more than anything. There's nothing like flying all the time to take away practicing. So that's what I've been doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. Well, and you've been doing some live streams and you've been doing, some, you've been doing videos and things too, but uh, yeah, I've been doing live stream concerts monthly on, on a platform called veeps where people can mm -hmm. grab tickets. I mean, one ticket per family. It's like an on-demand show. It's like, you're watching the on-demand wrestling tournament, except it's my show. <laughs> Sure, it has a lot in common. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right, you can have parties with with my show and or parties with the wrestling tournament. Yeah, whatever, or go. both. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you know, sometimes when you're when you're on stage and things aren't exactly going the way you originally planned, it is sort of like wrestling. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Much respect for pro wrestlers. Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. Well, let's get back to your, your career. You've had a wonderful career as a musician. I mean, uh, you're, you're touring and recording with Dave Cause, the recording you did with uh, Postmodern Jukebox, your own solo career, your albums are incredible. You've just done some really wonderful stuff. What would you uh, say or would you reflect on some of the more memorable experiences of your career? Yes, uh, with Postmodern Jukebox, one of the most mem memorable moments was playing at Radio City Music Hall, which I had pneumonia that day. This was four years ago. Mm. Didn't know it till the next day, but I wouldn't take myself to the doctor until we were done with Radio City because I didn't want, I knew I was sick. I knew it was bad. I didn't know what, what it was, but I knew it was bad. But I didn't want to be sick until after Radio City. I just couldn't be. So I did a big performance on stage, let it all out, and kind of fell down backstage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but man, that was fun. We also got a chance to play Sydney Opera House. And that was really memorable, for obvious reasons. Uh, with Dave Cause, the most memorable moment was, was playing with him at the Hollywood Bowl. And singing my rendition of Natural Woman by Carole King in tribute to Aretha Franklin at the Hollywood Bowl was was a beautiful moment. Um, and then in my solo tours, I mean, there've been there've been a lot, there've been a lot of memorable moments. Many of them have nothing to do with the stage. Many of them have everything to do with bonding with the band members and, and everything. But um, one very memorable moment knocked me down, knocked my pride down in, a, in the best way and took a weight off my shoulders in the best way. But, you know, touring can be pretty tough. It can be hard. It can be hard on the body. It can be hard on the, on the soul. Uh, it can be a lonely place. The budget obviously takes, it takes a major hit when you're touring because touring's quite expensive. You never quite know if you're going to be in the black. Most of the time you're not. And you just do it anyway. <laughs> but, and all of that combined can really kind of weigh on you. So I was having a somewhat bad day and it turned into something good. I, I had played Ronnie Scott's in London and it was oh. a great show, but mm -hmm. we were all exhausted. I was exhausted. We had been on a run. We had to get the show. We got out of the club at 4 a.m. We had like an 8 a.m. flight. So we had to go straight to the airport, oh, go through security and then get to Sweden. We get to Sweden. The Sweden show is earlier. So we don't really get time to nap. It's like a Sunday. So it's an early show. And the Swedish audience is very polite, which many entertainers would prefer if they were a little more raucous and less polite. So you're wondering, you know, do they even like me? They're not hooting and hollering They're, you know, cause they're polite. And, um, I, I was just getting through the show and really this, what is this for? I'm so tired. Why do I leave my house for six months of the year and blah, 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 whatever. And I'm just trying to get through the show and my voice was hurting and, and I was, you know, from the tour and I went, I did this thing where I had to go out in the audience. Um, I didn't have to, I wanted to, cause I do this in my show. I take my trombone out and play for people. 
walking around to try and get them riled up. And they typically do. And they were kind of, but the, again, polite audience. And I'm going, do they even like me? I don't even know. And then I, a young man grabbed my arm and I turned and looked at him and I could tell he was, um, he was disabled because he had a walker and he had very slurred speech. It was a labor to say anything and moved, moved very slowly, neurological stuff going on. I later found out it was cerebral palsy. And he looked at me in the middle of my pity party. And he said, as best he could slowly, I'm so happy. And I went, Aubrey, you idiot, you moron, you selfish little girl thinking that you, this is all about you somehow. And, you know, it, it put everything in perspective and I didn't do the meet and greet that night. Cause I couldn't, you know, lose, I was going to lose my voice <laughs> and yet. So, but a security guard came by, came back to the dressing room and said, a young man with a walker wants to come see you. Can he come see you? I'm like, yes, he can come see me. So he comes and he said, his name is Axel. And he said, um, hi, I had such a bad day, bad week, but I wanted to come see you so bad. I got, I left my house two hours away, got on a train, got on two trains by myself to do everything I could to come see you. And I was having a really bad day, but after I saw you, my day turned around. And I looked at Axel and I said, you know what, Axel, you just described what you did for me today. So, there you go. And, and I'll never forget that day. And the best part about it was about a year later, I went back to, which is one of the last shows I did before everything shut down. I went back to S Stockholm, which he's far from. Mm -hmm. And he showed up to this jazz club and it was a much nicer show. I was well rested. Everyone was having a great time. And he was in the front row with some family members. And I got to tell the story from the stage of that year prior. And he was there and it just made him super happy, made the family super, made the whole room really excited. And, and that's one of the best experiences I've wow. ever had as a performer. You know, in a lot of ways, those, those, that's gold, that's solid gold, 24 karat. Uh, that's a, one of the messages I always try to give my students and well, anybody that plays with me or under mm -hmm. me uh, yeah. is that uh, you never know who's in your audience and you never know what the gift of music is going to bring to another person because to ev everyone that gift is a little bit different. Yeah. And you know, you, you very well, I mean, your story is, is awesome because you made a huge difference in that person's life. You made a difference it, in mine. And, uh, you know, I, I, one of the things that I do, uh, I'm semi-retired from the university. Yes. They still, they still let me come and conduct the band on the campus. You have a, a university email address, if I'm correct. I do. Yes. I'm still technically on staff. Why? Way to go. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, well, the state of Wisconsin just has this sweet deal that when you retire after, you know, a waiting period of like 80 days, they can hire mm -hmm. you back as a retired annuitant. How cool is that? And so I, I can, it. I can go back, I can do one class and I did yeah. what I love doing the most, which is conducting the concert band. But nice. in oh, addition nice. to that, I also direct a band. Uh, if you're not familiar with this organization, it's called the New Horizons International Music Association. And it was founded by a, a professor at Eastman and uh, it's a band program that is primarily for older adults. Mm -hmm. And we have one in uh, Waukesha where I live. And I've been the conductor of that group for a while. But anyway, most of the people in that group are in their 70s and 80s. Right. I mean, I've got a Barry Sachs player who's like 89. Sounds like a party. And well, I tell you what, there's some days I feel like I'm teaching, I'm back teaching middle school. <laughs> But here's the thing, and I tell them this, I says, every time I come to rehearsal, I witness the power of music yes. because I see the looks in your faces when you pick up your instrument and you play. The other thing is most of our gigs are at uh, nursing homes and so on. And, and like you're talking about, I also like to go out and interact with my audience. Uh, and of course, when 
older people who are a little bit hard of hearing, I don't stand up, you know, in, uh, on my podium and turn around and talk. I'll yeah. walk out into the audience sure. and shake somebody's hand and so Good. forth. Yeah. And uh, it's really, it's, I, I know where you're coming from because it yeah. is such a wonderful feeling to see the light in people's eyes and what we do for them with music. So, okay, I'm getting off my soapbox now, but that's my, that's what I preach is a, with my music educator hat on and you're doing the same thing. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, another old story and you read it in the, <clears throat> in the interview questions, the great Clark Terry mm -hmm. once told me, uh, well, there were a few other people in the auditorium, but I'm, I'm sure he was talking to just me. Mm -hmm, of course. Yeah, of course. He said Absolutely. with jazz, he said with jazz, first you imitate, then you innovate. Yes. Now I can tell you in my humble opinion, who your vocals remind me of, okay. but who were your models as a vocalist? Um, not Annie Ross. A lot of people say really? that. I've, I did not grow up listening to her. I'm just now uh, getting hip to Annie Ross because I know people have said that. And so, so many people have said it that I've going, I'm going, never really listened to her, but I'm going to have to go do that because I, because yeah, um, it was, if we're talking about, but no, I didn't, I didn't grow up listening to her. Um, but I grew up listening to the two, if we're talking female jazz singers, Ella Fitzgerald and Diane Shore, if we're talking male jazz singers, Al Jarreau and Kurt Elling. Um, oh, okay. and then, but then I was also influenced by a lot of non-jazz singers, primarily Linda Ronstad, although she, yes, she can sing jazz like really well. So never mind. Uh, <laughs> we just haven't, you know, like she's famous for other things as well. And then, uh, I've also gotten singing inspiration from Dexter Gordon and Clark Terry's playing, for example, <laughs> Sure, a lot of, a lot of folks that are not singers, but, but by and large, female jazz singers, it would be Ella and Diane Shore. Yeah. I love Diane Shore. Diane I will too. never forget the very first time she was on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And I don't remember what she sang, but uh, this was probably back in the 80s. And mm -hmm. hearing her and I, I was just blown away. And I've, I don't know how many of her recordings I have, but I loved her. And, but, it, but yeah. it's interesting, uh, Aubrey, because I think you sound a lot like Annie Ross. Well, thank you. I, I, and, and I, uh, I take that as a high compliment because I'm listening to her and she's pretty burning. I, so I, I, yeah, I certainly have not, I don't know why. I don't know why that is because I never I, really listened to her growing up. But. Well, that is, that's interesting that you would yeah. say that other people have said that because that's exactly, have. that's what I say. Thank the other you. thing, and I also hear, I also hear Ella Fitzgerald in your, in your scatting. Sure. Yeah. You know, that would be, there's a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, here's another little FYI for you. You know, Al Jarreau is from mm -hmm. Milwaukee. Yes, he is. And, uh, and of course, Kurt Ellings from mm -hmm. just down the road in Chicago. Right. And Midwest uh, boys. I really like Kurt a lot Me too. too. And uh, too. I used to teach a unit about him in my, uh, I used to teach a class called jazz in literature. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and Kurt was singing at a club here in Milwaukee. So of course I went to see him. Yep. And uh, during the break, I had the opportunity to go up and, and talk to him. I told him that I taught this unit about him. And uh, and he was pretty gassed by that. He, That's pretty cool. You know, yeah. Well, he made a lot of... You can see how you could teach a unit on that by, with him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because of all of his of literary, sense. his literary references. Very, uh, so many. Yeah. He's dripping with them. Yes. <laughs> well, he's, he's very hip. And I also mm -hmm. remember the very first... Uh, time there was anything about him on television was on uh, CBS Sunday morning and uh, interviewing him about, you know, originally he was going to go to divinity school. Uh-huh. But then he said he had a higher calling to bebop. <laughs> there you go. That's so crazy. Wow. Well, anyway, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, we talked about you as a vocalist. Now, mm -hmm. as a trombonist, who are some of your greatest influences and, and who inspired or inspires you as a trombonist? Yeah. As a trombonist, my greatest inspirations were Dexter Gordon, okay, uh, Clark Terry, mm -hmm. uh, some Louis Armstrong, 
Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, what's missing are trombone players. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, again, um, I am very, I have my favorite trombone player alive is Wycliffe Gordon. Okay. And, and he's also, you know, a, a buddy of mine and he's a monster player. Mm-hmm. Um, just, and the probably the reason he's my favorite is because he sings through the trombone so convincingly. Mm-hmm. And that's my goal all the time. Um, another people, the, the one thing people are supposed, seem to be surprised by is that I did not grow up listening to Annie Ross. And another thing people tend to be surprised by, and I get it a lot, is that I didn't grow up listening to a lot of trombone players. Even though I was playing the trombone from 12, age 12 on, Mm -hmm. I was listening to big bands. And Mm -hmm. so I'm actually inspired by Count Basie when I play the trombone. And when I'm doing these phrases, I'm pretending I'm the whole band. It doesn't come out that way because that's impossible. But it's that's what's going on in my head um or i'm pretending i'm who yeah i'm you output what you input right right you play just like clark terry said you know it's imitation and then innovation so you output what you input but i input a lot of buddy rich i input a lot of count basie um however there are trombones in some of the bands that i did also grow up listening to chicago included Mm -hmm. Blood, Sweat, and Tears included. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Brown. I grew up listening to James Brown stuff because I just like funky music and Fred Wesley was playing the trombone, but it doesn't, it's not, I wasn't influenced by, I didn't binge trombone players and I binged a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's just now that I'm getting into Frank Roslino more. It's just now oh. that I'm getting into, you know, J- listening to the JJ albums. Mm-hmm. And it's just now that I'm, really like in large quantities i'd always had them in my ears i knew what the sure. trombone sounded like I, I knew what these na- who these names were but it wasn't who i was playing on repeat in my car and you have to be very careful what you listen to between the ages of 14 and 21 because whatever you're listening to then is what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life whether you like it or not so i'm happy that i was listening to tower of power when yes. i was and i'm 20 years late but I got into it and, and I would, when I got my driver's license at 16, it was a huge day for me because all I wanted to do from age zero to 16 was get in a car and drive by myself with nobody there so that I could do whatever I wanted and go wherever I wanted. And no one had to, no one was talking to me. No one was telling me what to play. No one would make fun of me if I rewound to the middle of the song 47 times, no, and, and it's all, it was ultimate freedom for me to get my driver's license at 16, which is what I did. And that's when I started listening to music on repeat all the time. Mm-hmm. And it was Tower of Power and a lot of pop music, a lot of Maroon 5, back, old Maroon 5, because songwriting is important to me. Um, a lot of Ella Fitzgerald, obviously. A lot of Dexter Gordon's album, Go!, was worn out, you know, if I could wear out a CD, which maybe you can, I wore that out. I mean, then it was an iPod and then it was an iPhone, but yeah. Wow. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I, unlike your, your vocal style, I really, I haven't been able to, uh, I think identify specifically, you know, your trombone style, but I do, I do no, I do hear that ebullience uh in your soloing that's very remind does remind me a lot of like lewis armstrong because you know lewis armstrong is kind of like that pow here i am yep and i hear that in your soloing as well it's very exciting thank you well uh, kind of as i do have a certain number of younger listeners not a lot uh but Mm -hmm. i do have a a a certain percentage so do you have any tips for any young aspiring jazz musicians who might be listening or we could just say musicians in general Mm -hmm. people that want to get into the music business well if you want to get into the music business you just have to start Mm -hmm. uh get your band together well i don't have a band find one i don't have a gig go to the coffee shop and say i can play you just have to start and it's going to be ugly and it's going to be messy and you're going to be broke and you've got to do right by everyone as best you can 
you know, to say what you'll pay the band, say, or say, I don't know what we'll make, but would you like to split it? You know, start there um, and start falling on your face, start making mistakes. There just isn't a pretty way to do it. So just get out there and do shows, do them as, uh, as often as you can. You'll start to, but how am I going to arrange all the stuff? Oh, looks like you got to work backwards. So if you got a show in a month, you got a month to figure out your repertoire. Mm-hmm. Um, mix it with originals you do have, covers you do have, standards you do know, and, and just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Um, you will learn so much about what kind of music you play best, how to entertain an audience. I mean, there's nothing that answers the question, how do I talk to an audience? Like trying to talk to one. Um, some jazz musicians, many jazz musicians, I'm going to pick on jazz musicians for a second, don't care to acknowledge the audience much. But I think that that's a shame because the audience is there to, to enjoy you. And not every jazz musician has to put on a cabaret show like I do. I know that I do that to the extent uh, to a big extent. I, I know that it's important for me that it almost runs like a Broadway show as much as it runs like a jazz show, but it doesn't have to be like that if you don't want it to be. Um, but if you want it to be, please do. I like it too. But um, you can look people in the eye and say, thank you for being here. This is what we're playing next. Tell why you like it or why you chose it or why you wrote it and play the song and stop talking and then play the song. That sounds like great advice. Uh, Well, I mean, you know, one of the classes I used to teach before I retired was creativity and problem solving. Wasn't even a music course, right? Sounds like music. Exactly. I guess that's why I had success in teaching the class. Sure. But uh, I used a one of the books I use as a text was written by a, a professor from the design school at Stanford University. Uh-huh. And ba- her basic philosophy in there is fail and fail big and fail right. often, fail often. And I've always developed, uh, tried to pass along to my students and others that will listen to me. I do not win or lose. I win or learn. And that, sure. yeah, because because there is no such thing as failure. There's just learning experiences. Yeah. And the only time you fail is when you give up or quit. Absolutely. Especially in this business. I, I think I think there's a lot that to it. And I, mm-hmm. you know, so thank you. That's excellent advice. Well, speaking of doing it, let's get to your new album. Mm-hmm. Now, you've got a new album that's coming out the day after tomorrow. May 21st, entitled Standard. Mm -hmm. So the first question I have for you is what draws you to a particular tune, like Sunny Side of the Street or any other of the standards of the Great American Songbook? Well, I, what draws me to a tune is, it is personal, I will say. A lot of people will say it has to be universal. True. Um, sometimes I do want a song. Most of the time I actually do want to do a song that everybody can somehow relate to on the sunny side of the street. I mean, come on, it's a happy song. A lot of people like it. I like it for the same reasons. However, I will reject a lot of requests. For example, I do get requests and it's very rare that I take them. It doesn't mean I don't think it's a great idea. It doesn't mean I, I don't like the song. It means, but I have to be able to deliver a song very convincingly if I'm going to sing it or if I'm going to perform it. And if I'm not feeling it, I will not put in the work to try and feel it if it's my own album. So that's, I know that's very vague it's an, and kind of nonspecific, but if I'm working on a wedding band, yes, I will do whatever the bride wants, whatever you want. I'm not, I'm making my own album. <laughs> and so I am singing only things I fe- I love only. Um, that's very broad. The Great American Songbook is not the only thing on this album. The album, it is a jazz album and it is called Standard, but they are not all jazz standards. They are standards. It's true. But Stevie Nicks wrote standards. Mm-hmm. 
Rossini wrote stand there's there are opera standards oops snuck one in um there are you know pop standards there are movie standards um Marvin Hamlish wrote movie standards I sang one of those you know so the album is called standard with a wink because everybody's like oh jazz standards no jazz album some jazz standards mm-hmm. but no <laughs> I'm not promising you all jazz standards um so that's what it is there are my first two albums had each of them actually had 10 originals and two covers on them and mm-hmm. this one is the first one ever that's the reverse it's got 10 standards or covers and two originals and the originals are um one is a, is a new song that i wrote where i actually to, in order to fit in with the whole theme here of standards i basically did my best attempt at writing a cole porter song okay and the song is called done pretending Unpreten- i had to guess yes. i didn't think yes. the other one was your cole porter song okay i tried that and then louboutins the reason that made it, which is the last single you guys all heard in April, is that's actually on my album Impossible as a big pop produced tune that I wrote back in the day with Pam Shane and Patrizia Moy. Pam Shane wrote the song Genie in a Bottle. We got together and wrote Louboutins about my experience in the entertainment industry. <laughs> and um, I... Uh, that's for the OGs. That's for the fan. That is in the album. That's on standard, the album, a jazz rendition of my big old eighties, nineties pop song. Um, That's on there for those of you who are listening or not listening, who have been with me since the beginning for, because they love Louboutins that there's a group of super fans all artists know what a super fan is. It's not just people who will come to your show sometimes. It's the people who keep us going, um, who supported my first album, supported my second, supported this one. They like Louboutins. They like the song and it's a standard to them. And it was, you know, I might not have put Louboutins on the standard album for everybody's sake, but I put it on for their sake. And uh, it was time to... It just lended itself really well. Like if you hear the first version on Impossible, it's a Michael Jackson-esque, you know, driving pop beat with a lot of reverb and everything. And I, it just really lends itself to like a swunk R&B jazz acoustic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, when I, we when I saw the name of the tune, I had to, I, I have to profess my ignorance. That's okay. I didn't, I didn't know what Louboutins were. So I, now you do. I, now I do. I looked it up. And that's why I was going to ask you if it was about a pair of shoes, but, uh, mm-hmm. it is. <laughs> but oh, it is about, a pair well, of shoes. it's about, yes, the pair of shoes. It's about a lot more than the pair of shoes, Yo, but the sure. pair of shoes, you know, everybody Louboutins are an iconic pair of shoes. They make you someone, they, they, they signify status. Um, and you know, when I was in Los Angeles as a young, young artist, and I, got my first, we hired my first stylist because according to my management team, you know, my look was a mess and they were right. And we got a stylist to kind of help me out. And he said, sweetheart, right now you're nobody. And in order to make you somebody, we need to get you a pair of Louboutins. Oh. And so we did. And I still have them. I can't, I don't wear them longer than five minutes because they really are uncomfortable, but I have them. I will never give them up. I mean, they cost about $400, you know, per, per shoe, per shoe. Oh, oh and, um, and that's just the basic pump, you know, not like the cooler stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was, um, the song was about, you know, it's just a fun way to make fun of that mentality that we all kind of have though. Well, I kind of suspected it was it was uh, you know when when the the two point was on there. I I had a kind of feeling that that this was going to be something about a, a the next stage or a subsequent stage to your life and career, something like that. I mean, I hadn't seen a, a copy of the lyrics or anything. I was totally guessing by mm-hmm. the by the title, and I can right. I can tell that I wasn't real super close but but anyway we'll all look forward to you know and i haven't heard it yet it, I've yeah been, you know so I, i'll look forward to to hearing it um but anyway let's uh 
talk about you and your creative process. What inspires you when you write? Usually a one-liner. Okay. Where the talk is cheap and the sunshine is expensive. It came to my head when yep. I was describing LA, talking to somebody one time. Mm -hmm. And then the whole song came out eventually. I mean, that was a lot more work. Mm -hmm. And then the album where the sunshine is expensive, you know, was written kind of around that song um, about my experiences in the entertainment industry in LA specifically, you know, I, that one liner came about in my head as I was just playing some very basic pop Carol King chords on the piano. And speaking of influences, as far as songwriting is concerned, Carol King is obviously one of my favorites. Most, a lot of people probably like her songs. Um, <laughs> and um, she writes songs so well that it's scary that she's my favorite because it means I have to uh, try to make them sort of good because my favorite songwriters happen to be the best in the world. <laughs> and so um, Carol King knows how to take a one-liner Um it's too late, baby. Now it's too late. You make me feel like a natural woman. I feel the earth move, feel the under, earth my move feet. under my feet. Yeah. Um, yeah. She knows how to take a one-liner and tell a very relatable story around that one-liner. And so I thought, you know, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to set out to do about this city. And then there are other songwriters you know, Wichita Lineman's a great song. Mm -hmm. There's a so there's a lot of songs about cities. New York State, Billy Joel's another songwriter that I absolutely love. I and everyone else. Um, and uh, a lot of songwriters will write songs about cities. And when they write songs about that city, yes, they're going to say specific things about that city that are unique to that city. Mm -hmm. But the song isn't just about that city. Right, right. So, Like New York State of Mind. Yes. Isn't just really about New York City. No. Yeah. And LA isn't, even though, yes, I'm talking about I-405 and I'm talking about being, taking phone calls by the pool and, you know, but it isn't just specific to LA. It is also kind of specific to the entertainment industry in general, but LA is that. So, mm -hmm. uh, what inspires me are one-liners and other songwriters, you know, hollow notes. Mm -hmm. Um, th these are the songwriters I grew up on. So modern, you know, people, my age doing this stuff, Emily King, Alabama shakes, mm -hmm. Bruno Mars, they're writing right. songs that they're hits for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're also kind of sophisticated mm -hmm. again with that, with that, gauge there and um so yeah and and louboutins even i can't dance in these louboutins they hurt my feet i want to take them off i mean it's a pretty it's a pretty plain thing to say but that's what dictates how the rest of the song will go and, it, and it's usually a challenge for me well i think that that's that's interesting that's i think you're the first uh uh songwriter that has has expressed it that way a one-liner uh, that, uh, you know, you could put together. It made me think of a recommendation to you, and that is Dr. Marty Groth. Marty Groth. Yeah. You, if, probably okay. if you Google him, you can find him. I subscribe to his email. And what he does, he no collects- No doing it right now. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Uh, and it's G-R-O-T-H-E, Groth. Cool. He is a collector of quotes. Oh, very cool and chiasmus and all kinds of neat ways of that words oh, cool. have been put together and yeah. and, di and different people have put them together and uh he just finished what i thought was a really cool he just had an informal kind of competition amongst his fans to come up with the best opening lines for a novel you know wow. like, like it's a dark and stormy night you know kind of yeah. thing except that uh, you know, and that's what he had. So you might find that interesting. You might find it inspiring. I might. Hopefully, I yeah. don't plagiarize. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> but what you might find is a as a, yeah. a one-liner that inspires Absolutely. you to think of something else too. Absolutely. 
Yeah. You're absolutely right. Well, so then I get the idea that when you write uh, an original song, you start with a lyric rather than necessarily uh, a melodic idea or, or does it all kind of come at once? It's all at, okay. Well, it's all at once. The one liner does turn into a melody right away. Okay. And then I write all the melody and chords pretty much. And then the rest of the lyrics are, are a painstaking long process, you okay. know? Sure. So it's not really lyrics first. Okay. It's the one liner first that dictates what the song's about. Right. But then it's like, most musicians who don't who aren't really lyricists first which i'm, I'm really not mm -hmm. it is or it it is baseline and melody which dictate all the chords which dictate the or the instrumentation even you know it's it's done in an hour okay it's done in an hour sure. and then the hard part that takes weeks months years is writing the rest of the lyrics for me sure sure and it's not my job to sit around and spit out lyrics like some people have that job in nashville or right. in in Disney or whatever. If that were mm -hmm. my job, I'd have to focus on it. Um, it's not. Mm -hmm. I'm writing songs for my own shows, so I'm kind of on my own timeline. But sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you're a you're a songwriting machine. You no. you respond to your own uh, inspiration or your own yeah. uh, inclination to to do something. And there are songwriting machines, and they're amazing. But oh, yeah. that's not me. Yeah. 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 Well, do you, however, do you keep like a sketchbook of ideas of heads or vamps or other musical ideas or even lines that you might draw upon later? Yeah, it's a, it's not a sketchbook. It's a recording, you know, it's vo voice memos on my phone, but yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, you can tell I'm old school. <laughs> yeah. Know? I mean, I can't write, I have to sing them to myself. I understand. Yeah. 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 yeah so you keep them, keep, just keep those ideas to draw upon. And totally. Then, is it would it be safe for me to assume that you're you're probably uh, still currently writing new material? Oh yeah, always. I mean, you just have something going all the time. Can you share a little sneak preview of some of the songs we might hear in the future coming out of you? <laughs> it's gonna get jazzier. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> that's all I can. That's all I really can say. I mean, it's gonna get after standard. I, I don't know that I'll do, I mean, who knows? I'm, I could be wrong. I could make another standards album right away. If, you mm -hmm. know, I don't know, but if I'm not, it's, I'm sitting on a lot of material right now. That's, um, original, but modern jazz, just like standard is. Oh, wonderful. And, and whereas you, what you, it'll still have those hook lines. Cause I can't just stop writing a little bit poppy. Sure. It's, but it won't be as poppy as the first two albums that you have heard. Yeah. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think that's one of the things I love about your music. I mean, you're a jazz musician, excuse me. You're a jazz musician, but you have fun with it. I do. It's not like you're not like, you know, the, the stone cold, I'm so serious. I can't, <laughs> you know, put across any sort of emotion except what comes out of my horn kind of musician. That's not you. Sure. That's, and I no. find that refreshing and enjoyable about you and your performing. Thanks, so I'm, I'm happy to hear that uh, you've got a pile of stuff that you're working on and, and I'll mm -hmm. look forward to the, the next one when it comes out. Uh, do you have any uh, tours or anything plan in the planning stages once uh, COVID is uh, kind of gone? Yes, dates are coming up. Um, they are, I am still going to do the monthly live streams. So that's okay. on the platform Veeps, V-E-E-P-S, um, or just go to AubreyLogan.com and you'll see it. Right. But yes, tours are coming up around the United States, um, Europe, as soon as we can, as of now, as of the recording of this, we're waiting on Europe, but we, but I'll be the first dork on the dance floor. So, I mean, the only way to really know when the shows are, because they're being announced as as they come up, right. uh, which is changing by the day. Sure. The only way to really know is to sign up for my mailing list. Cause even social media won't tell you everything. They, they just tell you what they think you want to know. So it's just like, you go to the web, you go to my main site and you click that follow button and asks for your email and, and uh, you get the show schedule for sure. But oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll be in LA a bit. I'll be here in Austin quite a bit. Um, other parts of Texas, other parts of the United States. Yes. Um, Ohio. Yeah. All around. Well, you're in a great place being in Austin. You know, Austin has more clubs with live music than any other city in the country. Yes, they do. Yes, it does. You know? 
It's pretty and, wild. And I, and I also have, <laughs> have you bought your first pair of cowboy boots yet? I still, I, I haven't. And I saw a oh. snake the other day, so I really do need to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that video I had my of first you backyard snake yeah and i know it was that... harmless but it was big it's uh well <laughs> everything's bigger than in texas for crying out yes loud. yeah it is <laughs> i i tell you i'm envious so i love austin austin <laughs> reminds you know it's like when i moved to wisconsin and the first time i went to madison which is right. our capital city and I uh, was walking down State Street at Madison and I happened to turn around and look back at the Capitol building and I could have sworn I was on 6th Street in Austin. It's I mean, just how that's, much it looked that's the cool. same. Yeah, that Capitol building looks really similar. Yeah, yeah, this that same kind of dome. It, yes, you know, it really yeah. does. I so, know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, well, I hope uh, I hope you'll come to, to Wisconsin sometimes. Uh, I will sometime the second. And, I and, will. And play, uh, you, you know. Bet. Uh, well, Aubrey, is there anything else you'd like to add or tell my audience? You know, I'd like to tell them that um, I answer DMs on Instagram. So come find me, you know, and uh, I, I, I like to be in touch with the fans. And so it's part of why I can survive and I appreciate them. So if you want to find me on Instagram again, it's Aubrey underscore Logan, or you can just go to AubreyLogan.com and you'll have YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and the shows all linked there. That's the hub. Mm -hmm. Yep. There's a lot of good information there. And, and, uh, and I, I also will remind my listeners that of course I've included a number of links, uh, to uh, Aubrey's uh, YouTube videos and uh, of special importance, two of the singles from her new upcoming album. I haven't put up uh, the the, uh, the your newest single that's uh, just released in April, but uh, uh, that'll be on the album, so they'll be able to hear that. Um, well, Aubrey, yes, it is. <clears throat> excuse me, you've gotten me all choked up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you for uh, taking time to talk with me today. And you, uh, I want to wish you all the best with I, what I'm sure is going to be a continued successful musical uh, future. Thank you very much, Craig. And thank you for your, your very thoughtful questions and, and hang today. Well, I sure enjoyed it. So all the best to you and, and, uh, and enjoy your, your new home in Texas and uh, I know it's a fun place to live. I lived there for 15 years. Really and, is a fun place oh, to live. Oh, yeah. Well, very yeah. good. All right. Well, have cool. a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye, Craig. Mm, bye. My Discovery Composer of the Week is Cesare Bendinelli, an Italian trumpeter and writer on the trumpet. Born, we think, but we're not sure, in 1542. We do know he died in 1617. Bendinelli is the earliest trumpet player of importance whom we know anything of substance. He was active in Vienna from 1567 and then from 1580 until his death as chief court trumpeter in Munich. In 1614, he presented his trumpet method, Tutta l'art delle trombette, the earliest now known method for trumpet. His method includes the first dated pieces of 1584, 1587, and 1588 for the Clarino register of the trumpet. His treaties, includes information elucidating on improvisation in five-part ensemble music. He claimed, too, to have been the first to apply tonguing syllables to the trumpet as an aid to articulation and register placement. The All Music Guide lists 12 recordings of Bendinelli's music, a must for trumpet geeks like myself and others who enjoy a good royal fanfare. In my show notes, I've included a link to a YouTube performance of Bendinelli's Sonata Number no. 366 by the group 
Ensemble Ottoni and Tici. Well, that wraps episode number 30. My show notes, along with links to artists' websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artists' performances, are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week, I will be interviewing blues singer, songwriter, and pianist Sunday Wild. Subsequent interviews will be with Minneapolis-based singer-songwriter Dan Rodriguez, New York City-based big band leader, composer, and arranger Jai Lee, the pride of Decatur, Illinois, singer-songwriter Ashley Riley, and Los Angeles-based singer-songwriter and actress Sarah Nemitz. So don't touch that dial. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at u-w-m dot e-d-u. So until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog. Signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.